Welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, History of the Thirty Years' War. So last time we talked about the Uprising Rebellion and the politics of war, at least that's how I would define it. And this week we move on to more combat during the war. So all these events will be happening during the Uprising Rebellion, pretty much for the most part. So Attili had systematically captured three Protestant fortresses at Munden, Northheim, Northheim, and Gottingen, which were situated between Lower Saxony and Hessen Castle. Munden fell in early July, and between two-fifths and four-fifths of the population were massacred and the town was looted. Another casualty of the war, as it was. Gottingen was captured after a ditch was dug on the city that drained out the water, and the relief force sent to disrupt the siege was ambushed and defeated, which forced the city to capitulate by August 11th. Christian then sent a number of his forces to his last remaining fort at Northheim, but he was unable to stop reinforcements from joining Tilly, which numbered around 4,300. Seeing as the war wasn't going great, Christian retired north to Sesson till August 25th, which definitely damaged Danish morale and increased imperial morale, which was flagging at the moment. All during this retreat, the League troops harassed the army, which would cut off and destroy units who were sent as rearguards to delay the army. Christian was also forced to deal with the question of baggage, like the previous Protestants, and he decided that it was worth keeping, which meant his army was slowed down, and by the time they reached where the Battle of Luther was, the road was clogged up by wagons, which which meant Tilly didn't necessarily need to rush 100% to get him. He still was moving at a fast pace, but not needing to desperately chase him. And the area of this blockage was called Luther am Barenberg. Christian then deployed a more substantial force as a rearguard, hoping that this would discourage the pursuit. I can see his logic, but Tilly, wanting a decisive victory, was not going to deny a chance for a pitch battle, seeing as he had a good record against the Protestants throughout all the wars. This battle really wasn't in the favor of the Protestants, and Tilly, like I said had proved himself to be a capable commander. Christian had not yet proved himself against the League yet, but the Danish were known as military power, so they couldn't be taken lightly. If Christian won, he could open up more diplomatic channels with German princes and give himself a better position in the war, maybe get the Hungarians to join in. It would have been a boon to him. If he lost, he would be down men, his baggage train would be captured, and the German princes would lose faith, Hungary might not join. This battle could be important. In many cases, allies don't join a war until you can prove that you can fight, at least during this time period. The forces of each side were roughly equal, around 20,000, although the Danish had a few more cannons than the Catholics. Both sides positioned themselves in the opposite side of a cleared valley, surrounded by forest. The stream on the right of the Danish had dried up due to the hot weather, though their left was still fairly marshy. Christian kept his forces out throughout the morning, until he brought up his heavy guns, which were protected by musketeers to bombard the Danish, which would allow his army to position themselves and rest until noon. The guns weren't necessarily meant to do damage, they were meant to, to keep the enemy army pinned down, seeing as they were on a slightly higher hill. It was also raining, which meant the Danish had to stand in the rain while the Imperials rested and ate, which would damage morale and these guys would be tired, they might be hungry. It wasn't a good event for them. Tilly then deployed his troops in the early afternoon after they rested, with Anholt leading the first charge on the Danish, assaulting the Danish left, which would be the Catholic right. Christian had made the critical error of going ahead to deal with the baggage train, which left no one in clear command. One of the officers, the of Margrave Moritz, Moritz led a counterattack on the artillery, but as I mentioned earlier, it did not go well. Tilly had sent detachments to flank the Danish in the woods, which put pressure on the Protestants. They could they would keep the army pinned and keep them from advancing as rapidly. The counterattack inevitably failed, and by 4 p.m. the Danish were wavering, which let Tilly assault the Danish guns and capture them. The second and third line of the Danish army were able to retreat under the cover of the Royal Guard acting as a rearguard, but the line engaged with the Imperials was unable to retreat, leaving their 
only option to surrender or die, which many surrendered. Most people surrender if they know a fight is hopeless, especially if they're mercenaries or not devoted to a cause. On the Danish side, the casualties were around 3,000 dead, which included several senior officers, 2,000 deserted, and 2,500 were captured. Christian also lost much of his artillery and his wagon train, which included two wagons loaded with war gold, which would be a major blow to his ability to fund his troops. Tilly only lost around 700 killed or wounded, some higher, some lower. History tends to paint battles as a little less casualties, especially on the victors. Like, oh, we only lost X amount. It's probably reasonably close estimate. Casualties are not as high as people think it is. Like, whole armies of 20,000 weren't getting disintegrated. Again, half this army managed to get out before things got bad. In the aftermath of the battle, Christian blamed Duke Friedrich Ulrich, who had withdrawn four days earlier, which left him with less troops and less support. The Danes then pillaged and looted as they retreated north to Verden, which devastated the area. The Gulefs then negotiated with Tilly for the Gulefs, which were a major family I mentioned earlier in the season, negotiated with Tilly for a bloodless evacuation of Hanover and assisted Tilly in blockading Wolf and Butel. They realized that it would inevitably be looted and pillaged, so they got as many people out as they could, and realized supporting the Emperor was probably in their best interest. This battle for Tilly was something that raised his prestige, which actually allowed his nephew to marry into the Liechtenstein family, who, like I mentioned in previous episodes, were a very rich and very well-politically connected family. Tilly and Wallenstein had both risen up the ranks because of their success in fighting the Protestants. However, it was not all success for Tilly in the aftermath of the battle. He eventually reached the lands of the Danish pillaged, which left him little supplies to support his troops. Christian began to offer deserters six tallers to join or rejoin his army, which led 2,100 league conscripts to desert and join the Danish. Keep in mind, Tilly was also having problems paying his troops, like every commander will have in this war, at least at this point. Tilly's troops were also exhausted from the chase, which meant Christian could get away and regroup, and Tilly could not deliver the final blow to the army that he really wanted or needed to do, which meant the war continued. Members of Tilly's army, which notably included the Bavarian Sean Cavalry took to highway robbery and banditry to sustain themselves during the winter after the battle, which is not necessarily a good thing you have to resort to, but both sides were becoming exhausted. So the battle ultimately was a victory for the Imperials, but not the decisive one they needed. Christian was able to retreat, preserving a good part of his forces, and he would later get reinforced by his allies, even if his image as the leader of the Protestant world suffered. So he'd have to work harder to prove himself, although he wasn't out of the fight yet. But I'm not necessarily blaming Tilly for not being able to chase them all the way because his troops were exhausted and the battle took several hours to do so it's not like these guys were in the greatest condition after the battle. Not fully chasing the army and slowing down was probably a smart move in the end seeing as seeing as he would have to make sure troops were ready to fight and if Christian had a counterattack or reinforcements, then that could have been bad for him. This is not an uncommon problem throughout history of an army getting away, and, but a general's army is too exhausted or whatever to chase them down. So Tilly joins the ranks of people who had to deal with that. With the defeat at Luther, Mansfield was cut off near Upper Hungary. Wallenstein may actually have delayed his chase of him, so Mansfield would be too far in to retreat back to join the rest of the Protestants. Mansfield was actually trapped in the Tatra Mountains, and he found little support among the local population. Many of them hid their harvest from him, and they were not going to rise up and support him, seeing as they were willing to support the emperor. Not necessarily like attack the Protestants, but just they weren't willing to support them at all. And Mansfield thought or realized that Bethlehem wasn't probably going to help him in time, so he cut his losses and moved his army to try to advance into Upper Austria, where the rebellion was going on still. Although, based on the last episode, it was probably August by this point, and it was not going well, and it was kind of at a stalemate, or on the worst end 
for the rebellion. One of his subordinates, Johann Ernst, opposed this plan and thought they should maintain where they were and wait for Bethlehem to support them. He had faith that Bethlehem would support them. With Wallenstein, he crossed into Silesia in the second half of August and then marched to the border between Austria and the Turks in an attempt to stop the Turks from harassing the borders and trying to support Hungary. This show of force deterred the Pashas from assisting, leaving Wallenstein to focus on Mansfields and Hungary, potentially. In all this time while in the mountains, the Protestants had been reduced to about 5,400 men due to attrition and, and dissertation. Mansfield also had been fighting with Johann and that eventually resulted in him taking a small force to flee to Venice but he was suffering from asthma, heart troubles, typhus, and late-stage tuberculosis at the age of 46, which meant he really wasn't in good shape. He supposedly died in a battle near Sarajevo on December 14th, and then Johann would die two weeks later. Although, on the Mansfield front, we're not 100% sure, seeing as he wasn't in good health and it was in the middle of winter. With the death of Mansfield, the Protestants lost a good commander and another army to fight the Imperials with. Despite his record, he remained the thorn in the sides of the Imperial war effort, as he would constantly up to fight them again and again, wasting resources, wasting time. He was a tenacious commander and... He deserved respect for being able to recover from losses quickly, because he was facing people like Tilly and Wallenstein, who were great commanders. It wasn't like he was facing lesser commanders. He was fighting people who were probably greater than him, I would argue. But that's just a sign that he was able to keep fighting. That was just a good sign he was able to keep fighting despite that. Bethlehem had actually waited till the harvest was done to try to assist, but by the time he was ready to go, Mansfield had already left, which brought Bethlehem to the negotiation tables with the Imperials. By December 20th, he signed the Peace of Pressburg, which was a treaty that officially made another peace, more in Ferdinand's favor based on based on new terms. The Pasha of Buda had suspended any operations, and by September of the next year, which was 1627, a truce had been signed between the Ottomans and the HRE. Bethlehem, however, did not fully trust the Imperials, and he offered cavalry to Gustavus Adolphus of Sweden for a war against Poland, but that fell through with Bethlehem's death on November 15th, 1629. Transylvania was then thrown into chaos till 1636 by one of Bethlehem's lieutenants, Georgi Rakosi, who then came out triumphant in the end. Wallenstein was actually criticized for negotiating with Bethlehem instead of fighting, seeing as many wanted to have the Hungary crushed and Transylvania crushed. However, he managed to convince them at the Bruck Conference and a visit to Vienna the next year, which secured him a freer hand to negotiate. And I actually agree with him negotiating. As as another war, another fight would have just lost men and resources, and this war demanded more and more of that. This war swallowed money, men, and resources like nothing I've seen before this war, really. Well, this wasn't a world war. This war would eventually swallow a lot of Central and Western Europe. His success in battle and defeating Mansfield had also managed to get George Wilhelm of Brandenburg to join the Emperor, who managed to officially sign them after some political maneuvering in his own territory to get the Protestant Calvinists ousted out of power within his council. With Brandenburg on his side, Imperial troops were allowed to move through their territory, trapping the remnants of Mansfield's troops. Granted, they weren't defeated yet, but they were trapped in the mountains. The army had fallen under the commander Joachim von Mitzlaff, who reorganized and rebuilt the army to 13,400, and he created a solid base in the upper Silesian mountains around Trapau and Jägerndorf. Mansfield, however, assaulted him with 40,000 men, taking fortresses and garrisons one by one. Seeing this happening, Joachim led a cavalry detachment of 4,000 north to escape, but they were caught, leading to most of them dying or captured. Joachim managed to escape, but Wallenstein continued to advance, heading towards Lauenburg, while another subordinate headed towards Mecklenburg. The Protestant war effort was not going well which Wallenstein probably wasn't necessarily being super clever. He was just using overwhelming force, which is a completely viable tactic. Not stupidly using it, but using it 
to put weight and pressure on an outnumber enemy. The Prussian war effort was not going well, seeing as the Danish weren't doing great either, and another army had been defeated slowly but surely. The defeats here prompted Christian to resume negotiations. Ferdinand had actually been organizing a conference to create a general peace across the empire among the princes, especially to solidify the northern princes so they wouldn't join the Danish and maybe other people who might join against the Austrians. Christian had encouraged Frederick to accept his terms since the stewards in the Palatinate would have to be involved. Diplomatically, this would allow him to save face and make peace with the rest of the empire. Frederick gave ground, officially giving up his title and accepting Maximilian as elector, at least until Maximilian's death, when it would revert back to the family of the Palatinate, which would be Frederick's sons. Ferdinand might have even dropped the requirement for reparations if Frederick showed up in person, but Frederick, as we know, was stubborn, so he did not show up in person, leading to the talks breaking down, which obviously led to a resumption of war and another year of campaigning. Once again, there's a chance for the tension of the war to reduce, but the personalities, in particular Frederick, made that impossible. It is interesting that Christian was actually looking for peace, or at least a longer truce. My opinion comes down to, I think Christian thought pragmatically and realized the war wasn't going in his favor, so if he could negotiate a better peace, like Hungary was able to, he could maintain some of his titles and influence in the upper HRE, and continue to have his influence be there. And seeing what we know of Ferdinand, Ferdinand wasn't opposed to negotiation with people with more fair terms. He was probably just as exhausted from this war economically, and they really hadn't had a chance to get a break. A couple years after a war of this scale is not something that is easily fixable. You need a longer time period than that. I would know as I played games like Crusader Kings 2, where long, expensive wars tend to drain you for a decade, or more depending on how big it was. So once again, the war was on the Catholic side, but Christian still had allies backing him up, only the Paladins of Bohemia did by this point. He still had the Dutch, English, and other minor allies who were willing to give him money and support. We'll see how 1627 goes on the next episode. I want to thank you all for listening in, and I hope you're enjoying it. Next week, we will cover the 1627 campaign and other political matters as the war continued. Social media links will be in the description box or on the links themselves, depending on where you go. You can email me at 3decot at gmail.com. Reminder that I have a Patreon if you wish to support me. And please review and spread the word about my podcast. Give me ratings. I love those. And I'll see you guys next time. <laughs>